Brother Minds in San Francisco is digitizing historic KPFA interviews with Brian Eno, Laurie Anderson, and many more you can hear free at radioma.org. I'm Charles Armerkanyan, and now I'm thrilled to announce a unique concert to benefit the work of Other Minds. Virtuosos Dennis Russell Davies and Maki Namakawa will perform a two-piano concert of music by Philip Glass, Chen Yi, Adam Fong, Baldwin Sulzer, and the music of Bach arranged by George Kurtag. The concert is at 8 p.m. in the Herbst Theater in San Francisco on Thursday, October 11th. Composer panel at 7. Tickets at 415-392-4400 or otherminds.org. This is KPFA or KPFB Berkeley or KFCF in Fresno. It is 3 o'clock and time now for Stone's Throw on Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. And today we present one of her evergreen programs. She's not available to be here in person today, but she wanted to pass along this from one of her great programs in the past. So please do stay tuned for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone coming up next. The ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness From the ones Who Walk in light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadows Out of sight The graph for this story is From the Souls of Black Folk by William E.B. Du Bois. He wrote, Who shall measure progress? There where the dark-faced Josie lies. The smell and the shade of the pepper trees is the first thing to remember. The wide shade and the dry days and the Spanish tile and the heavy awnings of the hacienda of my mother and my father. Brown Mexicans in white shirts make brown adobe brick walls, then wash them white. The bricks are made of mud and straw packed in wooden frames, From under the walls come horned toads to keep in shoeboxes, round reptiles with sandpaper soft bellies and loose chins and eyes without water. Their foreheads are crowned with thorns. They can spit blood from between their eyes. Their eyes are the oldest I have ever seen. They have primal, prehistoric perception. 
They know who I am. I take them on a shoestring leash to eat the ants on the anthills near the pepper trees. Once, I left one tied there near the anthill all night. In the morning, she was eaten because she got a reptile chill during the night and being cold-blooded, couldn't move much, so the ants ate her. I kept her babies in a jar. There were two of them. They were less than an inch long. They were very delicate. My friend Nathaniel and I are almost ready to go to school. I already go to a place with bars and sand and finger paints. They play drop the handkerchief and some other circle games, but the teacher said what I did was not the way to do it, so I didn't. Nathaniel and I kill other things besides the horny toads. We killed some unborn birds with a pipe and some kittens just born because we couldn't keep them. Then we killed some rats, the wrong white rats, some too fat white rats, and smashed them, and Nathaniel smashed them, but I helped. Once he frayed the ends of some electric wiring and plugged the plug in the wall and tried to electrocute the rats, but they wouldn't die. None of the grown-ups talk until the sun goes down. Then they all pour drinks, and Nathaniel's mother says she's damn glad he was born in Boston, not in this desert. My mother says, well, anyway, I was conceived in Michigan, so I am not really a Westerner either. My father is in Arizona because sick people come to his clinic with arthritis and asthma and tuberculosis and all the sickness people bring to a dry place. After it gets dark, everyone talks and drinks and sits in canvas hammocks or porch swings. We put on the lights over the tennis court. I give plays on the tennis court under the lights and Nathaniel is in the tiger cage in the tiger costume, roaring and screaming, knocking the cage over, breaking it. It is the best packing crate cage I have for my stage. It ruins my play, and my mother says, What a hell of a hullabaloo we are always making, but we might as well have fun, as long as we're kids. Always, always there is a pageant of me. They bring me costumes of Mexico with sequined snakes, embroidered blouses. I ride a burro. I am all done up in black and silver for the Rodeo Parade. I am Queen Elizabeth in a farthingale. I am Mustard Seed. I am Orphan Annie. There are a great many days. And a great many plays. Our 
colored maid lives in the garage. She goes home to her husband, Big Sam, on weekends. Her name is Josie. My mother says, Josie takes some cosmetics and other things from my mother's dressing table, but who could blame her in her circumstances? My mother also says, Josie can't have any babies. My father, who fixes everything, takes Josie to his clinic for some minor surgery, he says, and she has all kinds of babies after that. She puts her little Sam in the wash tub in the middle of the kitchen floor with my blonde baby brother, and there is salt and pepper laughter from the grown-ups. How cute, they say. Adorable. Just like my Topsy and Eva doll, which has two heads, and you just shake the skirt either way to make the pickaninny or the princess. Whenever my father builds a new room on the house, everyone has to put a footprint in the floor. Josie doesn't want to put her foot in the wet cement of the foundation of my father's house. He has to chase her round and round the yard to catch her, and all the Indians and the Mexican workers watch the Irishman with the blue-black hair and the ice-blue eyes chase the tall black woman and carry her squealing and kicking to put her foot in the wet cement. Black people are like cats, he says. How they hate anything wet because they have heavy bones and lots of calcium in their bones so they sink in the water so they hate it. Josie put her foot in the wet cement with her nylon stocking on. Then she went back to her room in the garage. One time I had a circus in the laundry room and left all sorts of animals there. I left a puppy in a wash tub all night with the tub boarded over. Josie found the mess in the morning. That time she lost her temper with me. I was a little afraid because after all, she wasn't my mother. She shouldn't get mad at me that way. There is a dream about the tigers coming and coming to get me. So my father takes his 12-gauge shotgun and shoots them through my bedroom window. In the morning, he takes me out to the desert and shows me where he buried them. I visit their graves sometimes. My father hunts ducks and doves and deer and takes me with him. I get to pull the heads off the birds after he shoots them. That way they die quick. Then I put them in the pack on his back. I always get lots of blood all over my yellow shirts, so my mother will be upset when I come home. Once a rattlesnake bit me, my father shot its head off and cut open my leg to get the poison out. I screamed and screamed. Then I kept the snakeskin 
and hung it on my bedroom wall with its rattles preserved forever. I made the vertebrae into bracelets. One winter, my father wants a swing that swings over the house. He has to dynamite the ground to make the post holes deep enough. It is a Tarzan swing. Everyone has to try it. That same year, he has to take my tonsils out himself because the best doctor in Tucson couldn't do it right. He paints the rumble seat in the car blue for me and calls everything by my name and paints it blue. He let me ride on the running board when my mother didn't see. He builds a handball court. But it's too late because the school has started. I am trying to be a girl. That is not his fault, of course. There was a time... In 1939, my mother's lover came to stay with us. He got away. I never found him. One night, it was the 4th of July, my father set off rockets and pinwheels and Roman candles. I watched and watched and let my little brother hold my sparkler. I told him the story of the little match girl, but he did not listen. I stayed up past midnight, had to be carried to bed. My eyes were burning with the lights of all the fireworks, and when I got into bed, I saw a great bonfire on the lawn outside my window. There was my father and Big Sam and my mother's lover and my brother and Nathaniel with all the others. They were having a tug of war with a long and twisted rope. First, one man fell down, and then another fell down, until finally, at long, long last, Big Sam won. He said he had to win because there were just too many babies at his house, and always more and more, and he could not stand it anymore. So they all went to the garage. They told Josie to give back those cosmetics and the perfume to my mother because it was her turn, Josie's turn, not my mother's turn, not yet. Then they made a rope swing for Josie in the biggest pepper tree, and she hung there alone. The wooden beams in the ceiling of our house are all on fire, burning like logs in the fireplace just before that moment they collapse into ashes. My mother and Nathaniel's mother just sit there. They just talk and talk and smoke their cigarettes. I begged them to come out of the house and get Josie down from the biggest pepper tree because that is the tree that is near the anthill and she will get a chill before morning. I tell them she is hanging there from the rope of the fathers. My mother is laughing and hushing me and saying, Yes, yes, she will come and see. She will come outside and watch my play. Just 
as soon as she finishes her drink. The second story today is titled Wartime Story. In 1941, in September, my father said, yes, there is going to be a war. And there was, of course, a war all right, so we left Tucson and the Arizona desert sand, and we went to the seashore where the sand is wet, and there was a bank there. Had my father worked in the bank, and there was blood in the bank, lots of it. My mother brought along me and my brother and my sister, too. When we got to the Pacific coast, there was La Jolla, and we lived in a house on stilts over the ocean. That was fine, of course. Sea lions climbed up on the rocks under the dining room windows. We threw them grapefruit rinds from the breakfast table. I used to throw down my prunes until my father saw me and hit me. We cooked out on the beach a lot, but the boys on the shore patrol made us put out the fires because maybe the Japs would see us. But before dark, we boiled scallops in big tubs on the sand, set out lobster pots, dough for abalone, and all the nurses from the Navy hospital and the corpsmen from the blood bank came to stay with us. And we all sang around the fireplace inside, and they all drank bourbon all night. One of the nurses had a baby. We all took turns taking care of it. The butter was rationed, and so was the gas, and the gas I guess they needed, but about the butter my mother wasn't so sure. She said the butter was so scarce because that way everyone had something to complain about. Anyway, no one liked the margarine, which came in a plastic bag with a red bullet. My job was to knead the plastic bag until the red pellet broke and the colors spread around the white lard and made the margarine yellow. No one liked it. Everyone stole a little butter from the Navy hospital and brought enough for himself and an extra pat for the baby. Then one day, lots of sailors and friends of everyone's got caught in a riptide. They all got cut up on the rocks and the coral, so that the shoreline was covered with blood. Oh, later they were all laughing and sewing each other up, which they could do, of course, they all said. A little esprit de corpse there, fella. The blood was getting in their eyes. Only one sailor had to go to the hospital. The rest were all drinking again by evening and singing it, all looking as if they had had a spaghetti fight. They said they were getting ready to go to the South Pacific. And they were, and they did. At the Navy Hospital in the blood bank, they segregated the blood. There was black blood and white blood. Once my father gave me a truck driver's blood after I had an accident and needed a transfusion. That's why I got well so quick, he told me. 
I thought about that. I decided they did not care about male blood mixing with female blood. Black blood was certainly the best, my father said. He laughed and put black blood into all the best white folks because didn't they need all the help they could get? Then he laughed some more and said that bigots watered down the black sailors with white blood to make them impotent. One night, after dark, I climbed down the cliff and sat on the beach to wait for some Japs to sneak up to the beach in their submarines. There was only me and my friend Nathaniel, who was ten, and two other little kids. Their mothers didn't care where they were. After a while, we saw a small porcelain woman in a kimono walk out of the sea and carry a baby to a place on the sand. She had long black hair. She looked like the miniature doll my father bought me in the flower shop, the doll cased in glass. After I got the Japanese doll, the shop was closed because the flower shop lady went away to a camp. The woman on the beach wrapped the baby in the flag of the rising sun. And then she poured gasoline all over the baby. The gasoline made the baby cry, so the woman gave it a beautiful flower to play with. And when the baby was quiet again, she struck a match to the flag. And the baby screamed. And then, when the baby was dead, she put the fire out with sand so the shore patrol wouldn't see it. She made a grave then and set more flowers all around the mound and knelt down for a time. She lifted a crown of wind chimes from her headdress and placed it on the grave. Then she set down a small bowl of rice just within reach and knelt down one more time. When she was finished, she walked back into the sea and swam west into the east. We saw her kimono through the foam on the waves. This last piece is the opening, the coda, little opening section to this collection of short stories called uh, Borrowed Blue. This page is called Borrowed Blue. The entire collection, cover to cover, is uh, titled Over by the Caves. Borrowed Blue, my mother's best friend was Anna. They met on the beach at La Jolla in 1938. Anna had a baby named Nathaniel, and Mother had me. They used to meet by the sea and swim and go for tea and feel free, but Mother wasn't free because she was married, and Anna wasn't free because she was divorced, 
They both laughed about that. They played these crazy hoopla records on the Victrola. They played the Black Hawk Waltz. And go see what the boys in the back room will have. And Barnacle Bill, the sailor, I'll come down and let you in, cried the fair young maiden. They read, Archie and Mahitabel, over their drinks. There's a dance in the old dame yet, Archie. Toujours gay, kiddo. Toujours gay. Evenings they folded leaves into slim volumes of Edna's St. Vincent Millay and rattled off Dorothy Parker's punchlines. They were bitter, all right. They never stopped smoking except to sleep. They felt as Zelda felt, and they lived it up because tomorrow you may die, but alas, you never do. And so I remember them that way. I see them coming down the steps by the cliff over the cove, bringing grapes and umbrellas and sand pails down to the beach each day until autumn. One last page. This page is titled Stone Leaves. Once upon a time, there was a very young girl, and she wanted to be an actress. She went to New York City in 1957. She found an apartment in the West 80s and dyed her hair red. Later, she went to an acting studio and studied the method. Then she got a job as a typist with an insurance company on Madison Avenue. Later still, she got awfully bored and began to draw pictures of purple cows and hang them all over her brownstone flat. Every night, after everyone got out and left her the hell alone, she would lie on the bed and listen for the sound of a mouse rustling the paper sack which stood under the sink where she washed her face and did the dishes. The mouse came every night for more than a month before she trapped it. She got hold of it in the sack because she hated those cruel, messy, metal traps. But then she had to drown the mouse in the bathtub to get rid of it. She had to use a strainer to hold it under long enough for it to die. These stories were taken from the collection Over by the Caves, first published in 1977 by the Berkeley Poets Workshop and then uh, reissued in 1995 in a limited edition by New World Press. These stories were written and performed by Jennifer Stone. Till next time, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Happy.
happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up. In darkness, from the ones who walk in light, light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of Baseball, football, hoops. Like sports? Deep sports? KPFA is bringing together for true, fresh talk the two coolest, most conscious writers showing us our games. Michael Lewis wrote the bestsellers Moneyball and Liar's Poker. His latest is The Blind Side. Dave Zirin is the in-your-face hip-hop author of What's My Name, Fool? And Welcome to the Terror Dome. KPFA's Max Pringle will host at King Middle School on October 10th, Wednesday at 7.30. Free parking and wheelchair access. Tickets are only $10 at supportive bookstores or $13 at the door. Get more info or just reserve your seats at kpfa.org. For this unique KPFA.